sleepy computer. So hello and welcome to episode two of Sleepy Computer. Uh, so this is the podcast where we are using AI to generate uh, stories and then reading them out. Um, we sort of supervise the writing of the story, but it, it's a mixture of our decisions around which route the AI should go down. And then obviously the AI is doing like most of the writing. I'm kind of excited about this one. I'm I'm excited to see where we go. Uh, last time with the crime crime thriller, that was... Kind of took me down a few different different uh, alleyways, and I'm excited to see where we go. Yeah, this time around, uh, it's kind of more of a thriller. Um, there's kind of a there's 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 a there's a pursuit going on, and and uh, Amy is the protagonist in this story. She's she's kind of being tracked down, and she she's got to get to the bottom of it. She makes me think of like uh, a spy. Yeah, well, she might, she might be. I, I, we don't, we don't know at this point. But um, yeah, there's definitely a conspiracy. Conspiracy? Yeah. Oh no! Yeah, it's gonna be, it's gonna be an intense one. So I think we should just like crack on straight with it. Um, so let's let's generate the story. Let's go. Amy looked up. An email came through to her computer, and it made an abrupt sound. She leaned forward in her seat and picked up the envelope from her computer and opened it, carefully reading it. Dear Miss Smith, I hope you'll accept my apology for sending you this letter. I'm writing to assure you that as a former CIA operative, you'll find this letter extremely embarrassing. After having served as a CIA agent for nearly 30 years, I realized that I was beginning to suffer from amnesia, and my knowledge of events and people was gradually becoming a little disjointed. I began to feel compelled to write you because I want to warn you that someone may be watching you. She gasped as she read the letter, and her eyes widened. Her mind was racing, but she had not felt any fear in her life for months. Her heart was beating faster than she had ever felt before. She continued reading. I'm convinced that a government organization is monitoring and tracking you. I've reason to believe that they are using electronic surveillance and computer surveillance to keep tabs on you. They may even know where I live, whom I interact with, and how much of my income is being allocated towards personal hygiene items such as a lot of soap. They're also tracking your internet access, which could allow them to determine exactly when you order from Amazon, what magazines you purchase, and what kind of drugs you use. I'm not even certain that I can say with confidence how close we have been or if this agency has already penetrated into my computer. But I will tell you that it was not long ago when I learned the extent to which you were tracked. I would have to go to jail for doing nothing about it. You're being monitored right now. She wondered if there was more information that might reveal more about the monitoring and the tracking. Who was spying on her? And had the entire world been under the electronic microscope recently? The letter continued. I suspect there is also someone on here listening to everything I write. The main suspects for this would presumably be the North Korean government or Swindon Borough Council. I mean, it's got to be one of the two. I, 
Well, we we know that Swindon is uh, famously corrupt. They're pretty big in like the espionage game. Oh, absolutely! It was uh, it was Russia, the United States, and Swindon Borough Council. Both have extensive intelligence surveillance facilities and a reputation for using them for monitoring opposition movements. Amy furrowed a suspicious look on her face as she considered why either was targeting her so much. She had been to North Korea about ten years earlier, and her family had all been treated well. By contrast, her time in Swindon did require her personal security detail to make daily phone calls to the embassy on account of her extensive links to foreign countries. She kept reading. Meet me at the Chisholm Hotel here in London later today when I arrive, so you don't attract too many attention. I'll be wearing my standard white jumpsuit with black thigh-high trainers with a white wristwatch to blend into the crowd. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how under the radar, I mean, how incognito a look is that? It's almost too subtle. Knock three times on the gate and ask for the guard to give you access. Use the name of someone who knows the place, preferably from the foreign office or UK embassy. Signed, Mr. C. As Amy was reading the message she had received, she heard loud banging noises as her husband entered the room, followed by footsteps that looked suspiciously familiar. They reminded her of his feet. She slammed the laptop against the edge of the bed with some force and quickly took two steps toward the door when she heard her husband say, Good morning, dear. She then turned and looked at him, and he looked startled. He'd been lying there in the bedroom for the better part of an hour, sketching his wife's face and body onto a napkin in what looked like a mess of lipstick smudges and tears. I wouldn't mind it if someone sort of sketched me like that. I mean, that sounds quite nice. I, you know what, I agree. It's very, um... Contemporary art. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm a big fan of that style. That kind of that kind of lipstick and, and grief. Amy was impressed at how quickly the man, whose name she could not recall, found himself at her bedside, and she was a big fan of the portrait. I'll put this on the wall. She gave him a brief kiss on the lips before placing the portrait on the wall. She remembered his name. It was Thomas Jefferson the first. Thomas, I need to go to London right now. As I need to talk to someone with more than an academic degree. Thomas nodded, nodding like everyone in his family, diagonally. He said, That's fine by me. I'm a physicist, and I'm studying the physics of quantum gravity. You know how science gets really confusing. Amy knew that she could not keep up that pretense of academic expertise. Thomas wasn't a lawyer, nor a professor, and actually worked in a hotel kitchen, cleaning out dishes. She didn't mention the letter because she didn't want him to think. She didn't tell him that she was going to London to talk to someone about espionage because she didn't think it would be safe to tell him that. As a long-time CIA agent, she knew that the FBI was a much deeper organisation than just a bunch of people who happened to be involved in spy work. She had been forbidden from telling him anything by the CIA policy, so she didn't tell him she was in the agency. As their relationship developed, she told him more and more about herself, but never about the CIA. Thomas believed her cover story perfectly, that she worked for a company selling high-end fashion and retail merch. He never asked how she made her money, or how her daughter managed to obtain her MBA degree, while the whole time she was only 12 years old. She packed a small bag, a copy of The Secret Life of the American Teenager, and a laptop, and headed out on an undercover mission to the hotel. She got into her Mercedes-Benz 300ZX, with no license plate, chrome interior, 
and a blue suede body kit and fired in the direction of London at between 5 and 25 miles an hour. I think that's an odd configuration for a Mercedes. Chrome on the inside, blue suede on the outside. To me, that doesn't seem practical. I don't think that's, especially if it rains. Oh boy. Yeah, that's good. That's an inside car. That's, that's a sunny, that's a summer car. That's exactly that. Like, if it rains, that's a manky car. And a chrome interior. I mean, it doesn't sound comfortable. She had to speed through traffic so fast to dodge an ambulance she ran into because they just happened, randomly, to look like someone she didn't care for. The traffic was slow with just one lane in one direction. Amy said, Oh no, this could be deadly. My head is just going to pop off. She went off-road into a ditch with her car completely buried in some concrete. This was quite the inebriation-inducing experience for Amy. Amy was quick thinking and took over the road to flag down a police officer who was going to her destination. She explained that she wanted to see what the police department's rules were on taking people to London without a license plate. She pulled out her book-sized copy of How Do You Get Fired? The 10 Mistakiest Legal Remedies and Things That Have Done It This Time and slammed it at him until she was smothering the cop into submission. Then, as Amy began laughing at herself, she began getting so excited about her little moment of success she said aloud, That was crazy. A car accident. I didn't really want to kill anyone, but just because I thought it sounded cool, it made me feel amazing. Now I need to get to London. This trip doesn't really end. I'm totally going to the British National Gallery of Contemporary Art. Amy almost forgot about the surveillance and her rendezvous with Mr. C. She wondered aloud. How are we going to find out who is monitoring me? They're definitely recording my activities. Are my conversations being monitored? I don't really want anyone watching me, and I don't want anyone to know that I'm doing something crazy. You know what? At least she knows when she's doing something wrong. Like, she's self-diagnosed that she's doing something pretty... I mean, she's just hit someone with a massive and quite fascinating-sounding book. Crucially, she's smothering him with it. Smothering him with a book. It might have a furry cover. She got into the police car and drove off in a drunken stupor. Amy was a mess. A mess of a woman. Her mind was spinning. She was in a rage and she didn't know how to calm down. She asserted to herself, Okay, I need to calm and not to panic. I'm not ready to lose my mind. I need to get back to London and to stop the surveillance. Find the person who's recording me and kill them. Oh. I will be very quiet, but I will be very loud. That sounds like really like... You know what? It's full of uh, metaphor and yeah. symbolism. Like She's going to be... She's going to be quiet, but she's going to let her voice be heard through the medium of murder. (laughs) Amy wasn't quite sure what to think. She was just a very disturbed woman who had an uncontrollable urge to kill people. Her phone rang. It was Mr. C, a man in his 50s who was concerned about Amy's situation. He said, Where are you? I'm very worried for you. Please tell me where you're going. You have committed a great sin. Amy was shocked. She said, No, I'm not committing any sin. I haven't taken any drugs this morning, and I haven't been anywhere other than at the office or in the library. Mr. C was impatient. He said, What are you talking about? You have to find the people who are videotaping you before they will kill you. Get here quickly. You are going to have a very bad day. He hung up, and she turned on her phone and called 911 to report her husband of six years for tax fraud. 
the dispatcher hung up, telling all the other dispatch officers that the matter was resolved. Amy was now on the outskirts of the city, trying to figure out how to avoid the police, the justice system, and potential life in prison that was certain when convicted. She snuck into town, hid from two cops by cutting the hair on her head. Bald, she started to walk on the main downtown shopping street towards the hotel they agreed to meet in. She got to the front door and was stopped right outside by Officer Paul Smith. New character. Mm. Smith stood tall, his thin body covered in white police uniforms, multiple pistols hidden under body layers, and a shotgun pointed in Amy's nose. <laughs> right in there, like right in the nasal cavity, just like an entire shotgun. Smith pointed at an elderly middle-aged lady in red clothing. He said, She doesn't smell right. Do you understand that? Do you not smell, missus? Amy sniffed the air around the woman. She said, Yes, officer. It smells like the smell of something you have been dealing with for years. She smells like I would smell if I was dead, but I'm alive. Can I come in, please? Amy smiled. I'm afraid not, miss. There's been a disturbance. And ye should leave. A man is dead. And that's it for part one. Jesus Christ, a man is dead. Yeah, a man is dead. I mean, do we think it's Mr. C? Oh, I... Oh, my God, Mr. C. What is he... What's going to happen? I don't know. I mean, he's... He's just a man in his 50s who's worried about her whereabouts. I'd, you know, I'd feel quite sorry for him if, if he was iced. Oh, she, like, totally killed a cop. Oh, she so did! Yeah, with a book. Oh, wait, wait, wait. The book, by the way, I, can I just say, this, this book needs to be available on Amazon. How did you get fired? The 10 mistakiest legal remedies and things that have done it this time. That is, that is one hell of a book. I would You've read that. You've done it this time. Okay. I assume it's, like, how to get fired from your job. The ten mistakiest legal things you can do. She's obviously quite maniac. Like, um, like as a character, like I don't entirely feel like I'm on her side. Like she's just, she obviously just wants to kill people. She's got this like pent up suburban rage. Presumably, she's not dealt with retirement well. Okay, so I know it says that she's a CIA operative, a former CIA, operative. V- former. I think it's because she was murdering people. Maybe she's a. Maybe she's like a weapon for the state, like Jason Bourne. Oh, like American Ultra, or like she's a sleeper, a sleeper agent, and then like someone's like tipped off her her buzzword, like her buzzword. <laughs> someone, was... someone, by the way, at Swindon Borough Council <laughs> yeah. has activated a sleeper cell. Wait, what if it is Mr. C? Maybe the activation phrase was a lot of soap. <laughs> a lot of soap. A lot of soap. How? Just how much? How much money is he spending on soap? See, like that's the other uh, thing. Apparently, a non-trivial percentage <laughs> of his actual salary is going on soap. Maybe he just likes to be a clean boy. Maybe. And maybe, maybe it's like Gucci soap. Oh, what about the smelly old lady? <laughs> <laughs> it just seems mean. It's very mean to be like. Also, like we now know that there was like someone's dead, mm. and the officer's like. But first, what's your opinion on the smell of this old lady? <laughs> like, before we go any further, is like a shibboleth. Can you correctly identify the scent of this old person? Is it biscuits? Is it the war? What is the smell? <laughs> it's death. It's death. <laughs> I'm surprised the police officer didn't recognize her straight away because she's clearly married to Thomas Jefferson. 
Thomas Jefferson the, the first. first. So I guess we'll see in the next section uh, what happens with regards to who's dead. Was it North Korea or was it Swindon? Swindon. Part two, the murder of Amy's friend by the murderer. <gasps> oh no, Amy's, what's going to happen? So Mr. C is her friend, it's confirmed. Mr. C is her friend, but Mr. C is already dead at this point. Maybe she's going to investigate his death. Amy was alive during the week of August, but she was still a little worried about the possibility of her own death. The death of Mr. C had brought an unwanted element into her life, which had hurt her to the very roots of her being. She had so many questions. Why did this man kill my friend? Who was that white man? And why couldn't he give me a hug? Why did that old woman smell like someone who hasn't eaten in months and then died? What did that cop do with the body? Amy figured there was only one thing she could do to get in contact with her ex-CIA mentor, Mr. Paul Coalfield at Fort Meade with his knowledge so bright and sharp it made the words Italian. Amy hadn't spoken to Paul since the morning when things stopped and Amy got a good hug in Fort Meade. It was something of a miracle that he'd left his post as president of the CIA and it was a great opportunity to catch up on his past and have a fun time together once again. Amy had had an on-again, off-again relation with Paul and they were on the same page about his work in the war effort. Oh, Paul, why didn't you tell me you were in Afghanistan? I wanted to talk to you about us. But why all that bullshit? I didn't know you were fighting for America. Amy sighed. I just wanted to know what you really think of my new app and how you feel. Feel about this great husband of mine. Amy and her colleagues had devised a way of keeping in touch and working together through the day via encrusted phone lines. Uh, different to encrypted phone lines, by the way. Very, is it diamond or crystal? It's bedazzled phone lines. Bedazzled phone lines. <laughs> they had installed them on their offices so they could talk to one another through the phone lines without having to wear bulky headsets. She picked up a little microphone from her bag and began talking in a very conversational voice, uttering her code word, which was... USA! They are the enemy! Immediately, several satellites on the phone lines began to explode, and the whole building erupted into a bright ball of light. A disembodied voice spoke. Is it God? It might be. What is the meaning of this? USA is the best country in Western Asia. He boomed with emotion. Amy recognised the voice. She couldn't keep the smile off her lips. It was Donald Trump. A large white cloud was looming down in a vast circular ring in the sky, and it was supporting the face, which was described as the largest in the entire history of the universe, possibly with the mass of 20 stars or more. It's just me, Amy, she said. I need to speak to Paul and the others. You have to stop doing this. I'm not getting on this phone line again. I'm not your personal assistant. I have very serious business that needs talking about on the phone. We have a deal with the Chinese, and you were warned. Okay, fine. I'll put you through this time. But you shouldn't be using the Enigma device for this kind of thing. 
Donald was still smiling, but he looked so old and angry. It was hard to tell whether that was the smile of a man who'd just fought his final battle, or if it was the smugness of an old man who had just won a lot more medals than everybody else. This is a lot truer to life than I thought it would be. I don't really know what it means, but it does sound like satire. His face faded into white. A thin smile appeared, and he sighed like a sardine being tossed onto a bun. The sky returned to normal, and Amy was back on the phone. I like the idea that his his like mouth remained in the air like a Cheshire cat. It is haunting. Just, just the smirk of Donald Trump is hung in the sky for a moment. And then, as soon as you know it, he's making a noise like a sardine being tossed onto a bun. I mean, I've lost count of the number of times I've used that metaphor in everyday life. Constantly. And it would be like a... Oh. <laughs> Amy answered with a laugh. <laughs> I know it's you, Paul. You silly girl. But we have to talk. A man is dead. Paul sighed and paused, trying to compose himself. He couldn't believe his eyes, and went on to say, Hey, Amy. I didn't want to talk about this. I've just opened eBay on the phone, and there's a huge offer to get me a free car. Tell you what. I'll get the guys together to help you out. I'm not sure you understand exactly where this ruckus is going to end. Video call me on 901-2201-595-577 after dinner. Paul hung up on Amy, and Amy heard a thumping noise, and she was standing outside wondering where this shit was going next. She couldn't believe she had heard something that sounded like the sound of a dog barking. Okay, so so far, uh, it's it's our first cameo from a celebrity. Oh yeah, Donald! And what I love about this is um, Donald Trump like came through as a suggestion, and I was like, well, yeah. Obviously. And then immediately the algorithm started talking like Donald Trump, like completely unprompted. Like there's references to China, um, even when he's not speaking. Suddenly his head is not just big. It's the size of... It has the mass of 20 suns. And it's just... it Like, the, the algorithm immediately knows to exaggerate in this, like, really Trumpian way. I'm, um, I'm also really happy... Well, actually, you know what? Now that I think about it, we've had two presidents of the United States. So we have... We have Donald Trump and Thomas Jefferson the first. Thomas Jefferson the first. Uh, how could I forget? Also, Amy is really... What she's looking for is hugs. I took from that that there'd been a really bad day at the CIA and she got a hug at Fort Meade and then was, like, banished from the service. So do you think um, if she was to rejoin the service, she'd have to have a hug? Like, it's like a ceremony, like, you get hugged back in. It's one hug in, one hug out. That's the system they use. You actually, if you get fired, you hug a new starter on the way out. Oh, it's fa- that's very nice. But you know what? It's nice because everyone gets like yeah, they they get hugged by a disenfranchised lever. Big fan of uh, Amy's code word USA. They are the enemy. No one would ever think of that. And I, I like how immediately the US satellites just exploded with anger. Exploded. And like in no way is it implied. Well, 
to my interpretation that that is in any way a metaphor like i'm picturing actual satellites exploding in space oh absolutely do you think the the oh absolutely do you think the satellites are owned by fox news so amy's got in touch with her old handler at the cia Mm -hmm. Uh, he's talking about getting the gang back together so presumably they're going to knock heads together and try and work out who killed mr c was it the north koreans or was it swindon um oh god swindon and hopefully amy can work out you know who is constantly putting her under surveillance and like why why is she being followed if she resigned years ago Later that evening, Amy dressed up, ate a sausage salad, and had a nice little time playing with her long black cat. It was time to go down to her basement grotto after dinner. She had a series of security measures. First, a big box had to be moved. Then a door could be unlocked using two keys. And lastly, she needed a large bucket filled with the most expensive toiletries on earth, including Tylenol and Sudafed. She made it down the staircase with the toilet bag she had bought and her laptop full of documents. She turned on the video connection and called Paul. Immediately her screen was filled with videos recorded by other men in positions of authority saying hello. It was her old team. They were all there. In the top left she could see the face of Richard Forged who had been in charge of her security for many years when Amy was 17 and next to him was someone she hadn't ever met before. David Wizard Toth, an eminent paedophilia suspect and former child soldier living free and with great success in England. He was also a master hacker and could break computer systems using only a few keyboard strokes and a huge appetite for sexual contact. Peter Meehan was on the call too, their agent in Florida, who exposed a network of dirty tricks the British intelligence had used throughout the 1990s centred on the Epcot Resort and hotels. He was well respected across Europe and America, and it was clear from all the stories he told that Meehan is at this stage a close advisor to MI5. This was the perfect group of agents to help Amy find out who was tracking her. Meehan addressed Amy. Amy, we have some information for you. We've intercepted calls and documents from your internal network to a laptop located at the Epcot. It was bouncing and sending everything. Meechan continued. It looked as if an agent was intercepting data and then watching your calls, emails and emails. David had something to add. We found an M4V player on your device, just inside the computer. There's also a secret word document and a name on the keyboard. There are symbols that look like English alphabet letters. This could help us locate the computer hacker by tracking his origins to a network. Just like how you can follow a woman walking with her umbrella. Peter furrowed his brows and nodded once again. What we found is also classified and could reveal some extremely valuable information about that mysterious computer hacker. We traced his route through Europe and it came out to the mobile phone of a traffic officer in Wiltshire. Swindon, Amy said under her breath and her eyes looked wide and then narrowed. Like, like a cat. Wait, wait, wait. I'm going to actually do that. <laughs> Those 
bastards are from Wiltington. They killed the guy there, so we're heading back to England to find out what happened to him. David had an idea to trap the mysterious killer with supercell hacking. The hacker could use his skills to manipulate and turn people's versions of Microsoft Excel against them and destroy everything. This would effectively cripple the council, resulting in the destruction of England's refuse collection system, destroying all of the food produced by England. He unleashed his supercell hacks and manipulated Excel on the computers, and the system immediately blew up as his hacking was supercharged with energy that made everyone in the system die. The next day, Amy demanded a meeting with the mayor of Wiltshire, but she wasn't allowed to enter the mayor's chamber due to their ongoing corruption and strict policy on the nature and limits of a meeting. She took matters into her own hands, infiltrating the mayor's secret bunker in Wiltshire, where she hacked their control system, causing the entire building to freeze and smell of sulphur and, <laughs> and smell of sulphur and rotting corpses. That is not a pleasant fragrance. That is not... Uh, you know what? It's not the first time in this story that we've smelt something rotting. <laughs> that smelly old lady. She's so smelly. Get over it. It was in part one. <laughs> After a day or two, they had no option but to send in the fire brigade to clear the smell. And Amy, dressed as a ghost, with her white shirt and a black bow tie, which she would use to garrote all those people who disagreed with Amy that day. Using her disguise, Amy was able to sneak into the mayor's chamber by cutting open an open door with her fingers. Mr. Mayor, you seem surprised at the extent of the work and effort I put into this project today. The mayor was taken aback. He was facing an assassination, and he hadn't known she had killed a dozen librarians on her way in. I suppose you're here to inform the nation of my plans. You'll never see another meeting of the council in your life. Where? Where did that come from? Amy raised her index claw and opened <laughs> her mouth to speak before realizing she hadn't put any words into it yet. Like, why, a, did, why did she have an index claw? Why did she have, like, talons? Why is it a cannon? You've got to load up the old mouth. What exactly do you mean? What does that even mean? The council has had so many meetings for so many years. Ha! Huh? Stupid idiot! She doesn't even know that I'm planning to change our public school system, removing the study of foreign languages in favor of teaching American English as a language. Or our plan to spend thousands of years and billions of our hard-won resources changing the red and green bins to be brown and purple. I mean, changing the color of bins is no joke. Diabolical. Like, it confuses old people for weeks. Like, I, I don't think the economy of Swindon would recover if they changed the color of the red and green bins to brown and purple, respectively. Amy had heard enough. Oh, come now. You'll never see another event about public safety taken seriously. You're being dishonest. I must concede that you've made some great choices today regarding our community and our city council. But there's an evil thing going on here, and I don't want you to get caught up and ruin it. Amy was furious with a sickening realization. The mayor is going to do everything possible to undermine good work by saying stupid, crazy things and monitoring your movements. Why are you so obsessed with me? 
Why are you targeting me? At first, the mayor just smiled, but his shoes began to shake, and Amy looked like a naughty child. She was very confused. You know what? Amy, we have to get this cleared up. You were here in 1943 to save the Union from Hitler, and you stayed in Swindon when it exploded. Yes, I remember that. And I remember that there were many others besides me in the city. Yes, but you never paid that fee. And no matter how many people you saved, we're going to keep looking for you until we find you. Amy was very confused. What fee? Tax. We calculated it based on previous tax bills. You owe us 20,000 pounds of back taxes. Amy was tittering. Oh! <laughs> I'm a horse! <laughs> How do you titter? How do you titter? Oh! Oh! But not Irish, yeah. Oh! That can't possibly be. She slid an envelope into Mayor O'Hoyt's... Oh, he's Irish, isn't he? <laughs> she slid an envelope into Mayor O'Hoyt's hands. It read, City Account Tax. His eyes lit up like the first night of spring, and tears began streaming down his cheeks in awe. A birthday celebration for O'Bones. Oh, Amy, my dear, you remembered. He opened the envelope and saw the handwritten notes in thick sharpie. He was immediately confused. What's that? These are records of all the expenses you incurred when you were running for mayor. He was overwhelmed. He read aloud the list that contained detailed account info about every single expense. £3,000 spent on a dogfight in which police came along. £2,700 wasted on a bar fight to keep a boy who knew about my previous drug trouble quiet, which ended in him being punched by another boy. I spent money on unnecessary food for several thousand people because my wife ate at another restaurant and thought it was good. I spent £2 every couple of days for my assistant, which she spent on keeping a hotel open for every six hours for no actual reason at all. How did you know about these expenditures? Amy paused before reaching up to her chin to whisper into the mayor's ear again. When I worked in this council, my sister told me about them because she was a nurse. With that, Amy flicked open a book of matches at the mayor's expense and fused three cigarettes in her mouth to form an incendiary fuse. She spat it into the mayor's ear with some gusto and ran back out before the mayor recovered from the surprise assault. With a single press on her cigarette lighter and an exasperated breath, Amy activated an email that asked everybody involved to donate money from their pocketbooks for charitable purposes while exposing the mayor to public humiliation as his wealth was reduced from over a million dollars per year to barely 15. Over the next 15 hours or so, the mayor had trouble answering questions about money and eventually he would resort to screaming incoherent answers before disappearing behind his microphone for the night. He lost his staff position over these infractions, and the people of Swindon will no longer take pride in him. Amy and Thomas didn't waste their time investigating his wealth. They moved on to dealing with the real problems of their own lives. A divorce.
And that's it. That's the end of the story. So... It ends in divorce. It's like the exact opposite of a Shakespearean comedy. It's all good things, and it's nice when a story comes together and there's just a nice, solid divorce. So all of this was about a tax bill, an unpaid council tax or property tax bill from the 40s when Swindon was under siege from Hitler, and the CIA were involved there. Uh, She didn't pay her taxes, and I think she thought she'd got away with it, but it hadn't. Came back to buy her. Swindon, they're on her. They're on her 24-7. They're watching her movements. They're seeing who she fraternizes with. I assume as a council, they take revenue protection very seriously. Well, obviously, they put her under surveillance, and they killed a man. There's a couple of questions that I think are unresolved. Um, Did Paul ever get that free car he was going to get from eBay? That's a good question. Um, what was Amy doing with buckets of Sudafed? I mean, I think she's making a bomb. Or she's very congested. Yeah. Oh, a pedophile saved the day? That's the first time that's ever been said. Yeah, I mean, uh, old Wizard Fingers, or whatever his name was, he's clearly identified that the hub of all Cold War spying activity was, of course, the Epcot Center. It makes sense because it looks like a big satellite dish golf ball thing. I don't think I'm ever going to use an umbrella again, just in case he follows me. Sleepy Computer is a podcast where the computer writes jokes for our brain. We use AI on artificial computers that give brain stories, and we read out the random stories while the music plays, using the same algorithm that's writing this paragraph. In today's episode, the music was written by Blue Dot Sessions. We call it Sleepy Computer because the random computer-made jokes are similar to the ones that humans make when we're dreaming. Each episode, it will randomly generate a new story. We're told by the computer what to say next, and although we do not dictate the topic or the meaning of the story, we'll selectively delete bad ideas or sentences if we think they're not funny anymore or if they take us too far from the original story. The stories are about 90% generated by the computer itself, and our 10% input is mainly grammar. Why not subscribe to Sleepy Computer via your favourite podcast software for automatic delivery? Just click subscribe and tell your friend who you like that they want this too. This helps improve their opinion of you. Your friend quality is greatly increased. You can find us by visiting our website, sleepy.computer, or searching for Sleepy Computer wherever you get your podcasts.